Well, one of the blessings of marriage is that my wife has slowly changed the kinds of food that I eat. She often reminds me that I need to eat more fruit and vegetables, and so without her, my diet would consist of ramen and hot pocket. Uh, so when we go grocery shopping, I've gotten really good at recognizing uh, the ripe fruit and vegetables that are ready to eat. Right. For example, you can tell an avocado is ready to eat when you hold it and it's a, kind of squishy. Um, I personally like it uh, a bit more than others because I like to make guacamole. Yeah. Watermelon has what you call a field spot. So if you look over it and turn it over, it has like this yellowish spot and it just shows you that it's had time to sit for a while and um, ripe. Celery is obviously crisp and not wilted. And I think what I'm looking for are marks that the fruit or vegetable is ready to eat. So in that train of thought, you can look at someone who claims to be a Christian and see the marks of their faith. You can examine someone and we can never look into their heart, but you can observe and recognize signs that their faith is genuine. We have seen John do this throughout our study of this book. John is concerned with the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son of God from eternity past. He is fully human and fully divine. John is concerned that we as Christians believe that. John is concerned with Christians walking in the light and loving a fellow brother or sister in faith. John is concerned about not loving the world and knowing that we're separate from the world and set apart for the Lord. John is concerned that we chase after purity and holiness. And in our passage this morning, John continues that theme and his aim is to remind us that we should live this faith out every single day. So John isn't John isn't Focus too much on telling us how to become a Christian in our passage this morning. He isn't going to tell us uh, or go too deep in how we can get right with God. He's already talked about that, but he's more concerned with a Christian living out and walking out their faith. In our passage today, John is showing us how a Christian will think, that how a Christian will walk their faith every single day, and how they'll act and behave. A certain way. So with that said, would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We'll read verses 28 and 29. And then we'll read chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. 1 John chapter 2, verses 28. And then chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I will read and would you follow along. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 
Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. But this, it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. My sermon this morning is entitled, The Marks of a Christian. To help us along this passage, I have broken this passage down to three headings. Number one, Christians find their confidence in Jesus. Number two, Christians find their identity in Jesus. And number three, Christians pursue purity. So let's get right into it. First heading, Christians find their confidence in Jesus. Verse 28 and 29. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. In John's fashion, he refers to Christians as little children. And he says, Christians abide in him. Christians abide in Jesus. They surrender to the Holy Spirit. They lean on the Lord. They give into God. They rely daily on Jesus. Christians depend on God for all their needs. They make their home in God. Why should we abide in him? So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Before I joined the Navy, I was a hospital chaplain for five years. And it was expected that we do overnight shifts several times a week. One night I was called to visit a patient who came in to be treated for a flesh-eating bacteria on his right hand. And as I entered this room, I met a young man on his bed who, for lack of a better word, was very goth-looking. His hair was black, his nails had been painted black, he wore all black, and had piercings all over his face. I introduced myself, sat down, and we began to talk. He spoke of a very tough childhood, and the way he coped through all of that was drinking, and eventually this led to a lifestyle of lavish sin. And after years of running away from God, he wanted peace, because he couldn't find any of these other things, and he wanted to change. He just didn't know how. I sat and listened to his story and asked guiding questions, but, but throughout this hour-long conversation, I was internally wrestling with the desire to share the gospel, but as a hospital chaplain, we're actually trained not to impose our beliefs on someone, especially patients. But as he kept talking, I felt a tugging in my heart. I got to tell this man about Jesus. And I felt the Holy Spirit giving me an opportunity to share the gospel. But I was scared. I thought, what if he gets mad? Or what if he gets angry? What if he reports me to the staff? 
What if he rejects me? What if he says no? You see, my confidence was in myself, and it was preventing me from sharing the gospel. But I couldn't hold it in any longer. And I finally interrupted him, and I said, Jacob, I know someone who can make you right with God. I know someone who can give you the peace that you're looking for. Would you like to hear about Jesus? And at that moment, Jacob's face grew stern like a statue. He became red. And he said to me, I've been talking for one hour. And I've been waiting for you to say this to me. Why do you think I asked for a chaplain to come see me tonight? Yes, I want to hear about Jesus. Have you ever had someone get mad at you for not telling them about Jesus? And so I did. I shared the gospel. He cried. I cried. He invited Jesus into his heart. He repented of his sins. I gave him a contact information to a local church that I was familiar with and told him to get himself plugged in when he was released. And after I left his room, I went back down to my office and I cried again. But this time, my tears were of shame. See, my confidence in myself almost prevented me from sharing the gospel. And so from that day onward, I made a promise to myself. If I felt a tugging in my heart to share the gospel with anyone, I'll do it. And I did it. And God allowed me to see many lost souls coming to faith on their deathbed in the hospital. I learned that my confidence should be in the Lord. And I get that confidence by abiding in the Lord every single day. Where is your confidence this morning? Is it on your looks? Your money, your status, your career, your intellect, your talent, your marital status. Would you move your confidence over to Jesus if it's not on him already? Would you abide in the Lord this morning? Abide means being connected, being nourished by Jesus. And as you abide and as I abide in Jesus, we will practice righteousness. And this is called sanctification. Because God is righteous, and because we're born of Him, we will practice righteousness. Look at verse 29 with me. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. The answer, of course, is yes, He is righteous. And so the conclusion is that we're called to practice righteousness because we are born of him. Now, we must remember that we will make mistakes as we practice righteousness. When you practice something, you grow into your craft, you hone in your skill, you invest hours upon hours, days upon days, and year after year in your practice. It takes time. You don't just wake up one morning and run a marathon. It takes time. You don't just wake up one morning and cook a meal like Gordon Ramsay. It takes time. You don't just wake up one morning and lift weights like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It takes time. It takes time to gain endurance. It takes time to and practice to cook a gourmet meal. It takes time to get some gains. And also it takes time to grow spiritually. It takes time to mature spiritually. And so we are called to practice righteousness. 
called to grow in our faith. Now, you can do that for good or evil. You can actually practice something for evil. You can choose to pour yourself into sin and practice sin, but that will show you that you are of the devil. Look at verse 8 and 9 with me. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But for those who are born of God, practices righteousness. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So when we practice righteousness, it eventually yields to growth. And we can look back on our journey and see God's faithfulness and his fingerprints all over that growth and maturity. So as we continue to grow, church, remember that we will make mistakes, but rest in the fresh grace of our Savior every single day and keep growing, keep maturing, keep putting Jesus first. If you drop the ball, pick it up again. If you fail that purity, our God is a God of second chances. And find your confidence in Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's move on to our second heading. Christians find their identity in Him. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3 with me. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. My family came to America when I was seven years old, and as a young immigrant, I absorb the American culture through television. Young minds are like sponges, so I just soaked it all in. And what I saw on TV was not, was not it didn't reflect my worldview. When I saw Asians on TV, it was most often to make fun or make jokes. And over time, I actually began to be ashamed of my Korean heritage. And there began this internal wrestling, this war within myself that would last for years. At times I would look, lean more towards the American culture, and at other times I would lean more towards my Korean culture. Um, I was just very confused. At church, I would hang out with my Korean friends, but they would make fun of me because I couldn't speak Korean as well as they could. And at school, uh, I just felt like my friends didn't understand me very well. I felt misunderstood. I had one foot in the Korean culture and one foot in the American culture. And it wasn't until college when I came to a place of peace because I discovered who I was. I wasn't just Korean. I wasn't just an American. I wasn't just Korean American. I was a child of God. Before I'm Korean, I'm a Christian. Before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. Before I'm a U.S. citizen, I'm a citizen of heaven. You're not just a Marine. You're not just a spouse, a wife, or a husband. You're not just a pastor. You're a child of God first. That is your identity. And that never changes. Blew my mind. Changed my, changed my whole outlook on life. John is telling us that in verse 1, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. As a Christian, you have been adopted into a family of God. And that is why we call each other brothers and sisters. This is a family. This church is a family. 
because we've been adopted to God's family. And it is not that we'll become God's children someday. John says, no, we're God's children right now. The beautiful doctrine of adoption. We're from all walks of life. We're different shades of color. Different backgrounds. But you're my sister. You're my brother. In the Lord. Some of us may have grown up in loving homes and you have fond memories of your childhood. Some of us, others of us, may have come from broken families and those people that should have protected you brought sin into the home. But in Christ, God has adopted us as his own. Whatever family you may have come from, now you're part of his family. Our earthly parents may have failed us, but our Heavenly Father never fails us. He's always faithful, always keeps his promises. Let us look at verse 1 again. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. What kind of love? Well, John chapter 17 verse 22 says what kind of love. It says, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. God's love for his son goes back to the beginning of beginnings. It is a love born in eternity. It is a love that goes beyond space and time. And Jesus is praying for you and I in this passage. And he's telling us that God the Father's love for you and me is exactly the same as God's love for the Son. That's crazy. I I don't understand that kind of love. But that is God's love for us. He chose to love us not because we're worthy, but because he is worthy. He loved us when we were rebels when we were lost in our selfish depravity. His love is the love of a perfect heavenly father. And no matter what kind of earthly father that you may have had, you can always trust your heavenly father. Through what Jesus has done for you, through the imputation of his righteousness on you, you are dearly loved. You cannot earn it, work for it. It's all a free gift. That is the love of God for you. And not only does he love you, scripture also says that he delights in us. He likes us. Because you're a child of God. That is your identity this morning. And the world does not understand this. They think we're weird, backwards, closed-minded, and old-fashioned. They don't understand why we would go to a building on a Sunday morning and listen to someone talk for 30 minutes. They don't understand why you would give your hard-earned money to the church. They don't understand because they don't understand him. When Jesus was on the earth, they didn't know who he truly was. So as Christians, we stand out. And we should stand out. We should be different. We should be set apart and live lives unlike the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And someday, our Savior is... Coming back. He's going to get us. And he's going to take us home. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a cry of command, 
with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Just as he ascended up into heaven in the book of Acts, he would descend back into the world in his glorified body. And he can come back at any moment. James chapter 5 verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In a twinkling of an eye, he will appear. And when he appears, John says that we will see him as he is. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back as a judge. We will not see Jesus the meek. We will see Jesus the glorified king, the mighty lion of Judah. We will see Jesus in all his present glory. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for his coming? Will you be found faithful? I pray that you do. I pray that we all do. And when he takes us home to be with him forever, we will have glorified bodies like Jesus. Someone once said, live as though Christ died yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. I like that because that gives within me a sense of this urgency. I shouldn't be complacent, get too comfortable. My home is in heaven. And your home is in heaven. And one day we'll be there. And when we get there, our dearly loved friends and loved ones that we have lost over the years, they'll be there waiting for us. And we're going to run to them. They're going to wrap their arms around us. And we're going to lift our glorified hands and worship Jesus in praise. Heading 3, Christians seek purity. Verses 3 to 10, would you read with me? And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of, Man, Son of God appeared to us was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. But this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The ball is on your court, friends. The onus is on us. John says that we must purify ourselves just as he is pure. So we need to search our hearts this morning. Are we entangled with worldliness today? Are we taken by our sin? And are we practicing sin or are we practicing holiness? Are we fleeing from sin? Are we fighting impurity? Are we killing sin in our lives? Are we setting our minds on things above? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Are we disciplining our bodies so it doesn't get too comfortable and we make comfort an idol? Are we seeking purity? Are we seeking pure thoughts? 
This is not a stagnant, sitting down, waiting for growth mindset. It is an offensive mindset. It is our eager to do God's will. If we really believe this morning that Jesus is coming back, if we really believe that he, came, that he can come back at any moment, if we really believe that he's coming back to take us home, that he's coming back to be a judge, if we really believe that he is our father and he loves us as he loves his own begotten son, if we really believe that our identity is in him, if we really believe that he is our home, then this should affect our lives today. We were told to purify ourselves. We were told to practice righteousness. We were told to abide in Jesus. So as you're looking at me and as you're listening, would you pray in your seats? Say, God, help me. Give me the strength to be pure. Give me the strength and power to practice righteousness. Holy Spirit, help me not to practice sin but help me to practice purity. God, sometimes I don't have the desire in me to do what you called me to do. So God, would you generate, would you create that in my heart? Create in me a pure heart, Lord. Holy Spirit, purify my eyes and help me to be cautious of what I see. God, help me to watch over what I do with my hands. Purify my entire being, Lord. My hands, my feet, my mouth, my mind, as it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let me end with this. Let us not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let us not give into the ways of the world, but to abide in Jesus. Let us purify ourselves every single day, for this is the calling that God has given to us this morning. So we talked about how Christians find their identity in Jesus. We talked about how Christians find their confidence in Jesus. We also talked about how Christians pursue purity. By God's grace, by his strength, I pray that we will all exhibit these marks as Christians. I pray that we will let our light shine so brightly in this world that it will encourage other believers and bring others that, know, that don't know Jesus to faith. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your grace today. Without you, it is impossible to live the way you've called us to live. So Lord, give us the strength and power to live for you today. Jesus, thank you that you lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for sinners like us, and that you've shed your blood for the forgiveness of all of our sins. We believe that. We thank you for loving us. Help us now to go out of these doors and let the world know that we know you, that they can know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.